0: Bob, it seems like you're the driver on this one. That probably makes you uncomfortable because it would require you to spend some more time talking.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I can do that, Josh. I'm I'm so shy. <laughs> Entry music. Da-da-da-da-da. It's the Bob and Josh Show.
0: If you've listened long enough, you've heard me rave about Richard core Well, Bob had the idea of let's bring him in and show the advocacy he had to do for himself when he worked with me when I didn't think Scrum Masters added any value to a company. So in the theme of our shake and bake, which comes from Ricky Bobby, this is the ballad of Richard Kaur.
1: When we started, Josh was an agilist and there were, there were thing, most things we agreed on. But one things we butted heads on years ago, this was in the, in the beginning, was I saw value in Scrum Masters like just inherent value in hiring them, even if you had budget constraints. Uh, so this notion of a part-time scrum master and thing—I, I, you know—I had gone there, and I'm like, no, no, it's a serious role, but it has to be done seriously. And Josh didn't buy that, so we had some friction in that area. And then there was a, then there was a pivot, uh, and still many years ago. But I remember the conversation we had with Metacasters. There was a pivot where Josh was like, I get it. And the instigation for that was Richard, whether he knew it or not, whatever he No did clue. <laughs> but, but that was the instigation. And Josh was like, you know what? I now, I've, I've seen a Scrum Master and, and and it pivoted me. I saw value and I get it. And I don't just get it for Richard, but I get it in general. And then he really apologized to me. Tears were coming down Josh's face. And he said, Bob, I'm sorry. Oh, you were right all along.
0: So it didn't happen. That is inaccurate. And
1: I and I graciously accepted his apology. But You've no.
0: never graciously accepted any apology from me. Yeah. So,
1: so going back to this advocacy, I th- that's what I wanted. I, I'm really excited. I'm going to step back. But I want to hear between Josh and, and Richard what happened because I think that pivot, that epiphany doesn't happen very frequently. And and I want to hear Josh talking about what went on in his head and you know what what was Richard doing? Was it intentional? Was it unintentional, et cetera? So Medicasters, that's I think that's some additional framing.
0: Okay. I'll I'll set the stage for where my brain was uh, walking in to Dude Solutions. You guys have heard about that many a time. And so this is the story of what happened there. Prior to that, I had been in companies where it was the Scrum Master and role. So they were Scrum Master and QA, Scrum Master and Dev. And I never saw the value in distracting a member of the squad with squad, with, cheese with Scrum Master roles efforts and all of that. So I just kind of did it and it worked. Uh, admittedly, it was spread across a handful of teams. So it wasn't overbearing, but I just said, listen, you don't worry about this. I'll take care of that. Cause we're going to do better if you focus on the thing you're really good at. So then I got into hired. Jeez, I'm like adding extra words today, but I got hired at Dude, Dude Solutions. And there were two people that were already on board. They were previous employees and one was richard who had been designated as the scrum master i'm not sure if you ever played that role before you can explain and then uh, brent pabst who was the architect so architect i'm like okay we're building a thing from scratch i can get it is this guy really an architect or is he just like someone that they threw out and said hey you have an architect Uh, and then the scrum master i thought oh boy um what am i going to do with this what if this doesn't work out like They've said, Richard's, Richard's a dude and he's staying here forever, so you got to make it work. <laughs> uh, and I never met Richard. I had no idea, right? I'm walking in blind. I'm like walking in and this poor guy's in a role that I don't believe in, and, which already puts him in a tough spot. He didn't know it. I never told him. Um, at least I don't think I did. And so then that's how the, the party got started. But as Bob mentioned, over time, that light bulb went off and I never wanted to travel without scrum masters like Richard. So that's the, that's the setting. Um, Richard, the floor is yours for wherever you want to go with it. Uh, So I'll take it from a perspective of
2: how it all started, right? So have I done a scrum master role before? The answer is no. Now I've been in roles where I was leading teams, I was helping with process and things like that. So a lot of uh, kind of what a coach and scrum is supposed to be doing, but I wasn't called that. So, you know, I was, you know, flying into India, Malaysia, I was helping them with, you know, you know, bringing teams up, kicking off teams, right, setting them on the path uh, and then, you know, planning for them, right, things like that. So what happened was that Dude Solutions decided that, hey, what they were using, traditional project management wasn't working. It was taking too long. So, hey, Richard, by the way, it sounds like you have done this before. I did something like that before, you know, back in an older organization, it failed miserably. I didn't know what I was doing. I was reading a book. So I did daily stand up. People hated me for that. Right? So because of that, they say, hey Richard, you've done some agile before. We would like for you to go do this. And I was like, okay, I can. So I kind of lay out some stuff that you need to do. One was making sure management understand what agile is. And that's kind of why Bob Gillen was brought in uh, as part of the consulting uh, side of it. Um, Long story short, it was more like, here's yours, go do, go run with it, right? And they had put me on the day that I said, yes, I will take the role. It was on a Friday and a class for CSM certificate starts on Monday. <laughs> My senior VP had already signed me up even before I said yes. So I was like, my first instinct, this is not good. I wanted Mike Cohen. Why would I want to learn from somebody I don't know? I wanted the best, right? And luckily, I got the right person. Uh, Peter Saddington is really good at what he does. So I was just lucky to have him at, at that point in time. So he gave me a lot of, uh, in that two days, a lot of learning stuff. Most of the stuff is like, it's kind of, for me, it was instinct uh, because I've done some of the stuff before. So when I met Josh, josh did let me know that he doesn't want a scrum master oh no now not directly i remember having conversation where josh like we're not going to go do scrum probably kanban is the way to go right and i'm like oh my god what is going to happen now i remember coming home telling my wife that i'm done because i so i'm not sure if you remember josh i was part of the interviewing group that interviewed you as well yeah yep. so i just told my wife I've just hired that somebody's going to can me. <laughs> All right. But again, I was so naive. There was no intention whatsoever to say, I'm going to prove to Josh. There was no such intention. I was like, I was going to go do my job. That's it. I was going to go do, I was going to help the team. Here's what I'm supposed to go do. And that was it. I just went and did it. Um, so looking back, no, I didn't do it on purpose. Do I know what I was doing? Probably not. Right? I just went with my gut Say, here's what the right thing to do. Now, Josh did allow me to learn. That was the good part was Josh allowed me to make mistakes. Josh allowed me to walk away crying and come back at it again. Right? So that's the part that I think I enjoy the most. Remembering the days is the time I spent working with Josh allowed me to grow so much And it's just phenomenal in my mind, right? For that short period of time.
0: Yeah, I I I had to get to a point where I felt like I had to give you everything you needed to succeed and hopefully you proved to be that person because I was uncomfortable and have always have always been uncomfortable just like saying, "Hey, this isn't a fit. It's not going to work." Mm-hmm. When we haven't created the opportunity for someone to succeed, provide clarity. Now at that time, I don't think I did a good enough job with clarity for you on what that was. Cause I wasn't totally sure about the role at that point. Um, but you did a really good job of helping clarify it, which helped. And that's something that I think people out there can do is that if the person you're working with slash four doesn't provide you with clear expectations, that's an opportunity to define them and shape them. And Richard, uh, whether he did it or not on purpose, that became part of what Richard was doing. And that as we decided to hire another person, like a peer to Richard, Richard became the model of, okay, this is, this is what works for us. This is what we're looking for. And Richard didn't wait for me to say, Hey, you know, you should be this. Um, He just kind of did his thing, which was, which was great was there any point along the way where that fear of me saying okay richard this isn't going to work where that like increased after that initial scare no actually no
2: i was so i would say dumb enough not to think about it <laughs> <laughs> i was i was just charging ahead and i think you know looking back is that that pair right is yeah if i'm working for somebody that doesn't see the value Um, does that person allow me to grow, allow me to do what I need to do? Now, years has, you know, years has passed, uh, I've been in a situation where that's not the case. I don't have that person. They don't believe in the value and they continue to not believe in that value. So in this instance, for me, it's like, I'm not going to go to places where they don't value me because it's just a waste of my time. Yeah. Right. So I can't help the team unless they feel like, you know, there is some value, then yeah. But if there is a mismatch in expectation, I think there's a disaster in the making. Nobody's going to be happy. I'm not happy. The client's happy. You we know,
0: just, not the point, right? Um, but there was a mismatch in expectations for, for, for us, right? Like when we started. Yeah, Yeah, but was, you, you had a mindset of allowing me to grow.
2: Yeah. Right? I mean, I, you didn't just say, you don't make my expectation. Go away. You didn't say that you didn't do that. Now you may be thinking about it, but you were like, you know what? I'm going to take some time and get a feel of it.
1: Hey, Josh. Yeah. I remember a discussion and I'm surprised my memory. I, I can't remember anything, but I remember talking to you. It wasn't something Richard did. It was an observation you made. So I think it, I think it relates to what you guys are saying. You gave him some space. But you were watching, you were paying attention. You weren't micromanaging, but you were paying attention. And I remember in the first Metacast, you came back and it was like, it was like, wow, this guy and, and it wasn't the scrum master stuff that wowed you. It was the leadership stuff. It was the cultural stuff. It was the intangibles. It wasn't running a, a stand-up or facilitating a retrospective. All of those Richard could do, but and I, i'm just trying to jog your memory but you observed it was like, cause i forget how you said it but it was like holy crap you know richard was like a mini me i yeah, couldn't yeah, yeah. be everywhere richard was was there on the front lines with me and that has incredible value to me as a leader because now he's my partner in yeah. transitioning does that bring yeah that, back that's any
0: that's, that's that's 100% where I saw what a great scrum master could be. And we worked very hard at the dude to create areas of focus for leaders across the board and to really own it. And Richard and the other Agile coach that we hired owned Agile for us. And it wasn't just big A, it was the little A pieces as well. Because the big A stuff just, they're good it happens um and like you don't like that's not really the issue i think a lot of people can do those they might not do it well but they can do that part but what richard was able to do was carry the core values of who we wanted our teams to be into every interaction and he played a huge role in helping create the culture that was so successful there because no one could have been in all of the places, but I got to a point where I knew if Richard was there or one of his peers were there, we had a really tight peer group there that I knew things were going to be okay. And we spent a lot of time as that peer group kind of figuring out who we wanted to be. And, the most valuable piece of, of Richard that he gave to me was his just willingness to, to call me out and say like, Josh, we don't have that problem. You need to stop. Like stop trying to solve things that we don't need to solve. And if you know Richard, that's Richard style, right? He's, he's just, it's right there. He sees it. He knows it's, he knows it has to be said and he says it. And that became why a huge reason why Richard was so trusted by me because I knew I was getting the 100% honest truth, even if he knew it was going to burn like crap when I heard it, but I knew Richard cared and he cared enough to give me the facts and without Richard and his ability in that part of the world, I don't think we would have become the company that we became, the department that we came Um, because that's, that's a standard that he set that then became a culture within our leadership group. And so those were the things that just gave us the opportunity to really be as great as we could be. Well, thank you from I think for me living
2: through that. Um the other side of it, you know, the darker side of it is pretty much it was, you know, constantly feeling like I was nagging almost. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I become the it become a mentor for me. What problem are we solving? And every time it's like that's Richard. That's his call. Right. And he always asks that question. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, so but it, that's... But that's what has to happen. And and not only did it become a thing within our leadership group, it became a part of the culture within the organization where people were doing it inside of those squads. And that that, again, has shaped how I build teams in that it's so important that we try and create an environment where people are willing and actively speak up like that, even though it might feel like you're being annoying um, it really is the right thing to do, A- and Richard never—well, I never saw him back back down from it, uh, which which was huge for for us. Um, so even in even in the face of gosh, what's this guy going to do? Is he going to fire me? Richard was still <laughs> willing to be like, no, dude, you're crazy. <laughs> which but is, but it's it's
2: it's to, to today is is what we call psychological safety, right? I feel safe enough to make those calls. I feel safe enough to bring it up, and I think that is something that is key important uh, in, in, you know, shaping what I do today is do we have that? Do we have mm-hmm. people, you know, I remember somebody saying, Hey, that's not, we, we suck. Remember, you we were, you know, you were experimenting with, you know, how are we gonna, are we gonna give goals? And what was it? Performance bonus or something like that. Mm-hmm. And one individual stood up said, no, everybody says good, but we suck. And that was the safety. I mean, they feel safe enough to make that call, yeah. right? To be able to stand up among like 40 people and say that. Um so that I think that's one important
1: thing. That's a good call out. I think Josh engenders that safety. So there's this combination, medicasters yeah. that we're exposing between Josh and Richard. Um, I want to point out that this isn't just a, a love fest for Josh or a love fest for Richard. It's it is, but this is this is a model that I would say anyone who's in a coaching or a scrum master role needs to be paying attention to to this episode because these are the these are the intangibles even if you're loved even if your leader is saying oh i love you as a scrum master they can say that to your face and that's fine they, they, they may mean that but is it really resonating so josh would have said that after beers or whiskey at a bar <laughs> he would have, he said richard he's got my value and i have his back this is this is this reciprocal relationship that you need to You need to establish uh it's a value proposition uh and and how do you establish that value proposition and how do you establish the relationship guys i want you to talk a little bit about alignment josh you were talking about aligning with that that team was it intentional was it you you guys were aligning there was some intentionality around getting ourselves aligned on principles talk more about that both of you
0: from my perspective it was Richard and I, we fell into a unique opportunity where we had the chance to build the team, the product and the process from scratch in a very well-funded company, which is super exciting, but also a little bit scary because I walked in with all of these ideas of how we could do it. And that was very different from how I had done it in previous places where I didn't have the choice to call the shots. And so now that it was like, hey, we're calling the shots, that's exciting, but also like, holy shit, like there's no one else, like you can't say, oh, so-and-so said we were doing it like this. It was now, we we are in this together and we have to figure it out. So it was maybe not intentionally, but it was a cry for help for me to say, hey, I'm not sure I can do this by myself. Let me find people I can work with. And then together, we can get to that final answer, which, you know, made me feel Richard. Like, why the heck did we hire this guy? Like he's coming in and he's immediately asking for, for help. Like, what the hell is going on here? Um, so that's the view from my, my angle. Yeah. So to so that, you know,
2: creating a team where everybody have a say, because we're co-creation. So you came in, you co-created something, uh, with the group that's there, right? Uh, for me, it was, you know, here's Josh. You know, so f- from my end, it was an opportunity to put together a group of team together to build something great. Yeah, even though I was a Scrum Master, right? But I was early on being asked to say, Hey, Richard, you've done some of this. What are the gotchas? What, what do we need to do? Right. And that's when, okay, well, we need to make sure management's aligned. That's, you know, we need this. We need, we need somebody that has agile experience before, you know, a QA person that has agile experience before, you know, who do we bring in? And I was part of that co-creation of the team. and I think that you know a sense of that I don't know, autonomy ownership yep. uh, was part of that I guess and, and then it was fun for me.
1: Stephen and uh, Kellogg asked a question. I'm not sure I understand it so but I don't know if you see it both of you guys. Uh, he's talking about management peers culture and enabled him to learn. so having Richard talk to that.
0: Richard, yeah, not, do you, not, do you understand sure. that question? No, I do not. I don't, <laughs> Stephen. You got to try this again, buddy. Uh, you got to try
1: it again, Stephen.
0: You have to uh, break it down, uh, you know, like give us a four dummies version, and then, and then we'll probably be able to handle it.
1: What are you, what are you, are you counting me twice, Josh?
0: <laughs> no, <laughs> just, just you know. No. Uh, so it so in the in the meantime while Stephen knocks that out because I know that he will, um, how, how confident were you in the role that had already been predetermined for you as you found out uh, on day one and then what what were the things that allowed you to become more confident over time? Again, as we're talking, to yeah. scrum masters out there, like what's the journey you had there to help them hopefully make the same journey you did? Yeah, so so for me is one, um I know what I don't know.
2: So two is I always go find out what I don't know and get a lot, you know, as much help as I can. So what I did learn was again, kudos back to Peter Saddington. He has an awesome two-day class that I attended. He gave me a lot of stuff. From that, and I'm walking in, and a lot of books. I was reading a lot of books. Some of the theories and practices align with what I've done before. So, my background was I've been, you know, software engineer, architect, manager, um, you know, director of software development. I was building teams and stuff like that. And it went to process for, right? It's like, I can't get this product to go out the door the way I want it. What's wrong with it? Right? So, it's like, oh, it's a process site So, I did process for a little bit, and I was like, you know what? Truly, it's, really, it's the people. Right, so it kind of that, that, that the three P's, right, Prop, the product, people, process side of it. I kind of had that opportunity to do that and I was just going for it. I actually just, you know, did it. I remember talking to you, uh, Josh, he was like, we're going to go Scrum. And I was like, no, if we do Scrum, we do Scrum by the book. Mm-hmm. Right, and I was like, we're going to do that. Looking back, did we do it by the book? Probably not, which is what Bob called us out on. Bob's like, you guys are probably not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> Bob would never do that. Yeah. I remember that conversation, right? I remember Bob coming in, where it's like, you know, I don't, I don't think Richard's
1: doing what he's supposed to be
0: doing. <laughs>
1: Did I really say that? I have no recollection of that. Event. <laughs> I am,
0: I am willing to bet that you said that preference, or with a prefix of, uh, I don't mean to pick, but yeah, right. Richard's not doing his job. <laughs> Thank you, Josh.
1: <laughs> it's, it's true. I, I wanted to talk a little bit. To, to the Metacasters too, that this is, I want to point out, I've been a part of a handful of high performance agile organizations in my life as a consultant and as an insider, as a leader and as a coach. Uh, eye contact is one of them. And I'm not saying perfect organizations, but eye contact was one, one that I'm very proud of. Also, from an outsider point of view, I was very proud of what what Josh and Richard and others did at the Dude Solutions. Was it a prototype? They were doing Spotify stuff. So was it by the book? No, but the spirit of it. So, Medicasters, I want you to be listening to this because I think there's a secret sauce aspect that's coming across. There's secret sauce from Josh as a leader, uh, listening, psychological safety. There's a secret sauce from what Richard was doing. Uh, and he was bold, he was courageous. He would ask the team, I've observed Richard, he's not stuck in his ego. He would listen to his team. He would always engage his team. He is insatiable, he might not admit this, but I think he's insatiably curious and he's a learner. And that's incredibly helpful as a characteristic uh, to this day, and he gives back to the community. So he's active in the agile community. He's trying to learn things and collaborate. So there's some secret sauce elements that you should take away and consider are you doing them guys maybe play off of that a little bit like if we could give folks a toolkit i'm trying to think of giving folks a toolkit from this episode not a toolkit but you know what i mean
0: when i look for scrum masters again it, it it starts from the richard mold and it is that boldness that he has when he knows something but also that capability to say, I don't know, but I'm gonna figure it out, right? Like that, the, those are two pieces that I could always count on Richard having of having the confidence that he knew something. And We actually built that into the hiring process of like, how do we find out how somebody is really confident in what they know? So that helped shape the way that we hired. The other thing was Richard could have a conversation with anybody within the squad about their poor performance, their lack of engagement, their their whatever. And while Richard could be intimidating at times, I never, it never came off as that. Like, like I never heard anybody come back like, oh my God, Richard just destroyed me. It was like, hey, I had a good conversation with, with uh, Richard. And he would always like, he's a super smart guy. He would like go have it outside in the chairs in the shade he'd be leaning back with his legs crossed just kind of hanging out with a person you know (laughs) and so he was really good at that so those are the three things that richard showed me again that he taught me of this is how you do this role really well yeah i mean i think
2: outside looking is very different right you know what you guys saw and what you know for me from the inside look, you know, going out is very different, right? I felt, I felt I was inadequate. I felt like you know I was doing the wrong thing. Um, you know, I made a lot of mistakes. You know, you know saying the wrong things, stepping on my toes, right? Um, but a lot of it, I think, going back to just curious, just wanting to be better at what I do. Uh, you know, I think remember reaching out to Bob Galen. Uh, the, uh, you know, the ALN saying, hey, you know, I'm a new Scrum Master. I would like to learn from others like me, but there is no other people like me or no other people around me into solutions. And I look at Red Hat and they had a big group of community there. And I said, that's unfair. All right. So, and then reach reached out to Bob and said, Bob, there's Colorado, there's a group out there, All right? They got the Scrum Master Focus group going. And then there's one in Florida at the time. It was only two. And I said, could I do something like that? And uh, you know, the goal was, could I learn from others? Could I create something that will help bring people together? And then selfishnessly basically, could I learn from them? Uh, so that was, that was the intention behind it, right?
0: Yeah, that was a big step for us when you started that Scrum Master focus group and we started a host because that then grew into, we started a product owner focus yep. group uh, because uh, Pamela was the same, like, like, Oh, wait a minute. Look what's happening over there. Like I would like to learn like that. So it again, was that boldness for Richard to say like, okay, this doesn't exist, I'm going to go make it happen. And Richard, if you know him long enough, if you have worked with him long enough, you know, there's going to be times where he puts his foot straight in his mouth, (laughs) uh, but that's Richard and I value again, the boldness. Of Richard to say what needs to be said. There have been times in the past where he said what needed to be said. Maybe the wording could have been a little bit better, but it needed to be said. And so that's someone that I'm always going to give space to because the value is so tremendous. Um, And like, nobody's perfect. Everybody like Richard was there when I've put my foot in my mouth a handful of times. And like one time I even got called into HR for it, you know? So, uh, you know, it's we all struggle with that, but the, but, but the, there was never a moment in the, in my time there where I thought like, uh, okay, this isn't, this isn't going to work out. So can you talk about those feelings throughout your path as the scrum master? Because so many struggle, just everybody struggles with imposter syndrome yeah, all of us do. Everyone does. And it sounds like that's what you were wrestling with. Did it ever go away, or was it always there, no matter what you did?
2: Yeah, it's always there. I mean, so so to me, it's going back to Suhari, right? Early on, I don't know what I don't know. So you feel really, yeah, I know everything. The yeah. more I know, the more I realize that the more I don't know. right and And that's the path is that there was a lot of stuff you know going back to as a coach. Right. How many areas of coach that we, you know, the, the skills that we need to have. Do I have all of this? No. Do I have some that I am pretty good at? Yes. Right. So, so that's the, you know, how do I compare to other coaches? You know, what areas should I seek to be better? And that's one of the things that, you know, working with Josh, I learned that, you know, again, it's it's not focus on the negative stuff, focus on my strength. What is it that I'm good at? Right. What, what can I, what is my superpower strength? What is that? Uh, and then, you know, going back to today, self advocacy. But well, when you brought it up to me, it's like, how, I don't know. This is not a natural thing for me. One, I'm Asian, I'm Chinese, so it's not in our nature to, in my mind, boast about ourselves. Uh, but along the way, I did learn that I have to sometimes sell myself, and that's key. Um, you know, YouTube for me is something that I went into because Peter Sandton did it. I thought it was fun. I jump along, um, not knowing I was what I was doing, right? And then, you know, I remember Josh calling me out on this. It's like, why are you aspiring to be an Agile coach? Why are you aspiring to be a YouTuber? You are, right? Call it like it is. You are, right? And that's that's kind of set my mind that yes, I am a YouTuber. I am an, you know, Agileist. I am an Agile coach. Now, that gave me the confidence uh, to move forward with it. So a lot of those things help me along the way. Um, I don't know, sometimes I ramble. So I think I'm rambling
0: at this point. <laughs> yeah, well, it, that's another thing that uh, I struggle with. I don't think Bob has ever had that thought. I don't think he's <laughs> ever thought, hey, I'm rambling. Um. No,
1: I, I never ram. <laughs> I mean, I, I talk a lot, but it, Oh, but I, it's, I remember but, now. Yeah, but it's always incredibly insightful. So at least to me.
2: <laughs> oh, I was, I, what have- I was going with is YouTube actually. So YouTube actually allow me, to, it set me up for other gigs, we call it gigs, right? Other, other places to work from. And people hire me because of that. Uh, so, which is interesting to see.
1: Josh, I I'm, I'm going to call you out to see how you react, but it sounds like back then, and this is in the history, but maybe you should have done a better job. Cause I know you were enamored with Richard. Mm -hmm. And maybe you weren't communicating that to him enough. I don't know, right? From a valuation perspective, you were seeing the value, Yeah, right? We talked about it multiple times in MediCast. I know that. Yeah. Uh, So you saw it, but there's this, so from a leadership point of view, there's this reciprocal, I think, valuation synchronization that has to happen from a leader or a sponsor or a stakeholder, you know, communicating, I'm either not seeing the value or I am seeing the value. Uh, And then I think it's like from Richard's point of view, checking in with you and maybe you guys, you had it, but it wasn't synced up very well. That could have maybe been smoother. What do you, what, what do you think?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a struggle that I've had that actually I discovered I had when I was working with Richard and I've over the past, you know, decade plus since we worked together, uh, maybe not plus around a decade Um, I've been working very hard on because I know my my personality is I don't take time to celebrate the victories because like that's done. And I actually want to highlight the things that aren't working because that's how we get even better. And that works in my brain. What I was smacked in the face with is like almost everybody else on your team probably doesn't work like that. So you're doing them a disservice and causing them to get down because you don't ever stop and say like, yeah, that was freaking awesome. Even though like in your mind, you're like, yeah, but okay, let's move on. Let's find the thing that's broken and fix it so we can be even more awesome. And I was horrible at that. And so along the way, I've really worked at doing that. So I am sure part of the imposter syndrome that Richard wrestled with was because I wasn't good at that yet. I think I'm okay now, but I, but I was really bad at it back then. So I can imagine it being difficult of really having clarity, especially when you're doing well, because historically when you're doing well, I spend less time thinking about you. Cause like, Hey, Richard has it, you know? So that probably puts you in a tough spot. Like, am I good or am I not? Like what's he's not talking to me as much as he used to. And you know, unintentionally it was because you were crushing it but you had no clue which can create fear and confusion yeah
2: i think uh, so from my end actually one of the things i learned is that i no longer um i would say I no longer rely on that value evaluation from high ups you know i I've, i kind of self value myself where i'm at uh, yeah. so for me so it's like you know it's important for me to be able to do what I do, feel comfortable with what I do, be happy with what I do. Uh, and, you know, to me, it wasn't so, uh, you know, no news is good news, right? Yep. You were not checking on me all the time. I was like, you know what, I, I get it. I get the freedom to do <laughs> what mm-hmm. I need to do. And I feel comfortable with it. Um, would it have been better if we provided more feedback? I think you did enough. It wasn't over. So for me, it was enough for mm-hmm. me to go do what I need to do, right? So um, I felt good. I felt, you know, really well received. I really felt valued at that point. Uh, you know, we had lots of good conversations. Um, and we made mistakes? Absolutely. Uh, I think one of the things, you know, the secret sauce to today of getting teams to Agile isn't any framework. is what we did. It's basically, we were doing what Agile manifesto, the first thing that they say to it, which is we're learning it, we're doing it, and then Helping others do it, and this is exactly what we did at Deep Solution. We didn't say we're going to go do X. We just say what part of X do we can we pull from? And we we yeah, Spotify. We didn't do everything is Spotify. We had we had conversations with Spotify. We learned early on that even themselves they didn't have a you know iron out quite plan. Some were doing this way, some were doing the other way. All right, so I think that to me was able to pull pieces apart and kind of fit what
0: problem we're trying to fix. Yeah. and that that like I remember the moment when you said Josh I think we're really a man of cheese uh, we're really a manifesto driven organization like that's what's driving the changes we do or don't make and so I never thought of it like that but you crystallized it for me that then now that allowed us as that leadership group to just kind of use that as a benchmark like Okay, are we aligning with who we aspire to be, which is manifesto driven? And that worked really well for us. It allowed us to kind of go off off the rails a little bit, but those ended up being really good rails.
1: Guys, I want to come back. I, I'm thinking qualitative versus quantitative and coming back to self-advocacy. So is it data? Is it quant or is it qual is it other thing? Is it feelings? Well, I want to hear from both of you weigh in. Um, so what does the advocacy look like? Do the burned down charts speak for themselves? Is that the thing that resonates? Oh, we increased velocity by three points last week. Richard, high five. Or, or, or is there something else? I, I think I know, but I want to hear both of you talk about what would be your recommendations? Because advocate with what? What does the advocacy look like? Is it data? Is it something else? Is it storytelling? What? Uh, Richard, why don't you go first? Cause Josh okay. has been, it really bums me out. He's been dominating the conversation.
2: <laughs> so, so for me, it's, I'm, I'm more on a, a feeling side of the world, right? So if you look at my side, that's kind of where I fall. So for me, it's a lot that has to do with the feelings when things yeah. are going right, we know it, we feel it. I don't need data to tell me that, right? My mm-hmm. teams are delivering, we're crushing it, right? Teams are happy. A lot of work to do but they're they're not we're not killing the team right so to me it's that so metrics can show me everything that is there to show but metrics can lie too uh so i don't rely on that so for me it's you know you would know it when you see it when you feel it and that's something that I don't even know how to put into context
1: but I think that's a fair that's a fair reply. Uh, yeah. Josh.
0: I, um, the feeling told us because we lived it and we knew it and we had an aspiration of who we wanted to be. So we knew when we reached the destination, we knew we had won with the culture when we heard the squads self-correcting culture within themselves. And neither one of us said anything, we just saw it. And I can remember times when we just kind of looked at, each, we looked at each other, raised our eyebrows like, oh, okay, cool. We did it. And that's great but we still lived in a world where metrics were a thing. So that's a, and I don't like agile metrics at all, but many of us live in a world where you and I can see it and feel it, but someone upstream writing big checks uh, often isn't like, oh, okay, that's good enough that you feel better. Like, no, it's not. Like, I'm not paying for you to feel better. I'm paying for us to, you know, put money in and have money come out and more coming out than we put in. So that's where understanding the value became a thing for us and connecting the teams with the business as tightly as we did to help them understand the difference that they were making, which enabled us to do a better job with it. And we ended up, um, I think this came from Brian and Laura of trying to get commercially minded engineers and what that meant was that they were connected with the business and they understood how the thing they were building connected to marketing and sales and the end customer and allowed more customers to feel confident giving us more more, more money. So that was a thing that we had to do and that's hard. Um, and you can't fall into the trap of it feels good. Like it, Richard and I knew but I still had this job or had to go tell the CEO and the Warburg Pincus board that like, hey, this is working and here's why. And that that wasn't easy, um, but over time, that feeling started to spread across the organization. So so yes, the feeling you can, you matters, can, but you do have to fight those metrics at times. You can back it up. So for me, you know, when you say feel good, what do
2: you mean by feeling good? Well, we're delivering on time, right? We're meeting customer demand. Right. Those to me, why we feel good is because of those things. And I think if you back it up, you can get the data from that and it drives it. You know, you know meeting our commitments every two weeks. Right. You know, that's something, right. Having a roadmap, knowing where we're going, uh, you know, again, customer minded, customer focused, uh, commercialization of it is, is part of that. Right. So to me, that's at the end of the day, we feel good because of those things. I think if you were to break it down backwards I think you'll get that with metrics that's how I see it
0: gotcha makes sense
1: I made a note Josh about commercially minded engineers and maybe it's a future episode we talk about commercially minded agile Mm -hmm. I think there's something rich there in in that mindset that not everyone has so maybe there's a future exploration there Uh, you and I can talk about it guys I think we're I think we're sort of nailing this if you and I want to come back to advocacy. Uh, if there was an elevator pitch that you, you, I'm not, I'm not trying to put either one of you on the spot, but what have we missed with the elevator pitch? Because it's so important. Coaches, Agilists have to be advocates because people don't understand our value in a lot of cases. Not everyone. So, so what's that elevator pitch? What do you got? Focus on this. All right,
2: I'm gonna. Say it out there. For me, it is sharing your success story, telling Ooh. your success story.
1: Uh, so. I emphasis Richard on your, not the teams. Can I, can I get clarity? I mean, it's part teams, but the part that you played in it. Yep. Yeah. Your, I love your, that.
2: your, team, your success. So scrum masters, if you're doing this, there are success you've been doing. Sometimes you're in it so much. You don't see it. You may need <sighs> somebody else to stop you and say, Hey, by the way, you are killing
0: it. Here's why.
1: Ah, oh, love that, Josh. He set the bar up high. I don't know. What do I, you got?
0: I feel like I should just bail because he <laughs> nailed it so well. <laughs> I mean, like, I, nice I, job, I, Richard. <laughs> I can't top the, that. <laughs> that's
1: that's fair enough. All right, can we stick a fork in it, Josh? I what do you think? So. Yeah, how are we going to do this? We're, we're going to do it. Headed. It's we're going to do it in three ways, and we're okay. going to, we're going to, all right. So, okay. from beautiful downtown Cary, North Carolina, who are you? I'm Bob Galen. Yeah. And
2: I'm I'm Richard Coral. From where? Where are you? From From Kerry.
0: Okay. Another Kerry. All right. And then uh, from beautiful Fuquay Arena, the outsider here, uh, I'm Josh Anderson.
1: Everyone shake and bake. (laughs) Take care, y'all.